You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. We began a brand new series last week called Close. The whole Bible is about you and I drawing close to God, how the availability is there, that the door is open for us to draw close to God. But how can we? I mean, we are broken, needy people. I just threw you under the bus. I'm broken and I'm needy. Are you, are you broken and needy as, as well? Yes, okay, see, okay, good. Seven of us are broken and needy here in this room. How is it possible that broken, needy human, humanity, humans like us in our, in our brokenness, in our sin, how is it that we can draw close to the perfect, almighty, creating God of the universe? What we're doing these next few weeks, we're looking at men and women in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament alike, who, who drew close to God. Why did they do it? How did they do it? And, and how were their lives forever changed for having drawn close to him? This morning, would you turn in your copy of God's word with me, please, to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter five. If you're kind of new to church, it's the sixth book in the Old Testament. So start at the beginning, go six books in. We're in the book of Joshua this morning, chapter five. I'd encourage you, if you're kind of new to Highland, um, just to keep your Bible open. If you've been around Highland for a while, you know that, but let's go to Joshua chapter five, keep it open. We'll refer back and forth throughout the morning through this passage. Joshua chapter five, beginning in verse 13. I'm just gonna read three verses. It's the last three verses of the fifth chapter of Joshua. If you've been around church for a while, maybe you've heard this before. It's a great story, great story. So when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And wisely so, Joshua did so. Here's the first thing we're gonna have to understand together this morning. Who is this commander? Who is this commander of the Lord's army? I say to you, it's Jesus. And I'll give you 11 reasons why. And you don't even have to write them down. You can go back and review this archive this week on the website if you want to, but here's why I think and believe wholeheartedly this is Jesus. Number one, he identified himself as the commander of the army, not a commander of the army. Second reason I have for you this morning that this was Jesus in this passage is that he was worshiped. Third reason, Jesus allowed him to worship. An angel would not have allowed Joshua to worship. Here's the, the fourth reason, Jesus commanded that Joshua worship him. Fifth reason, this one is holy. In fact, he is so holy that the ground that Jesus is standing on becomes holy. Uh, Here's the sixth reason, shoes are to be taken off. Seventh reason, shoes are only taken off in the presence of God. Two times in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter three at the burning bush when God told Moses, take off your sandals. The second time is right here in Joshua chapter five. Uh, Here's the, uh, what number am I on now? Here's the, the eighth reason. In Revelation chapter 19, it is Jesus, who is the commander of the armies and the angels of God. Next reason, he's called Lord. Do you see this here in verse 14? I believe I'm on reason number uh, 10 right now, number nine right now. 
take off your sandals, he says, from, from your feet. But right before that, very, very end of verse 14, he says, why does my Lord say to his servant? Or what does my Lord say to his servant? That word Lord right there is the word Adonai. Used 467 times in the Old Testament. Of the 467 times, 466 times, it refers to God himself. Here's the 10th reason I have for you. Now I have come. You see that phrase? That is a hot phrase of Jesus. He says that over and over again throughout the Gospels and the book of Hebrews, now I have come. It is my time. I have come. Now I have come. This is used over and over again by the words of Jesus. And here's my 11th reason, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the New Testament tells us that Jesus himself was with the Israelites as they wandered through the desert. This is what theologians call a Christophany, where Jesus appears in the Old Testament. Now, what's Joshua doing? Look at verse 13 again. Joshua says, in my translation, uh, he was by Jericho. Your translation might say he was near Jericho. Why was he there? He was there for a strategy meeting. He was there for, as a spy, he is there to, to see how he's gonna be able to conquer the city of Jericho. Now, remember, the Israelites have crossed over the Jordan. Uh, Joshua is there as the general. He's been named as the general of the armies of the Israelites or the commander of the Israelites back in Joshua chapter one. So he is there to strategize how to conquer this city. Now listen, Joshua has been here once before. 40 years previously, he was also going in to look into Jericho and to look into the promised land. And you probably remember that story. Moses was there at Kadesh Barnea and he had all the Israelites around him and he chose 12 men, 12 men from 12 different tribes to go in and to scout out the land. They're at this time on the east side of the Jordan River deciding should we go in or not. 10 of the spies come back and they say, we cannot do this. It's impossible for us to have victory here in the promised land, the land of Canaan. But two spies came back, Joshua from the tribe of Ephraim and Caleb from the tribe of Judah came back and said, oh yes, we can, we can do this. With God's help, in fact, in Numbers chapter 13, verse 30, by all means, let's go take the land that the Lord our God has given us. So Joshua has been in this city on a military meeting before, 40 years previously. And if there's one thing we can learn from 40 years previous to Joshua chapter five, when the Israelites began to grow fearful because of the report of the 10 spies who were afraid, who thought that they could not do things, is simply this. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. Fear is rebellion. Fear is rebellion against God. When we're afraid, when God has given us a task, God has called us to do something, his spirit has told us to do something. His word has told us to do something. And we back out and we back away because of fear. That is rebellion in the eyes of God. Need a reference for that, a biblical reference for that? Numbers chapter 14, verse nine. When Joshua said, we are rebelling against the Lord because of our fear. Fear is rebellion. And, and, and I would say to you this morning, Highland, that the, the most fearless people on the planet should be Christ followers. We should be the most courageous people in our nation today. Those who love Jesus, those who follow Jesus. I believe Christians should be the most fearless people on the planet. In Revelation chapter 21, some of you might remember this. There's a list of people who are thrown into the lake of fire. I know people don't like hearing lake of fire stories at church, but it's straight from, from scripture, Revelation 21. And the usual suspects are being thrown into the lake of fire. You know, the murderers, the, the vile, the liars, the sexually immoral, but you know who else is on that list? And we never say this, cowards. People who are so afraid, 
they were thrown into the lake of fire. So let me just follow that up with a little good theology making this statement here. The Bible knows nothing of a constant coward in Christ. There's no such animal in the Bible. There's no such creature in the New Testament as someone who is in Christ and constantly afraid, who is in Christ, abiding in Christ, knows Christ, been set free by Christ, and there's just constantly in this state of fear. The animal, that the Bible knows nothing of this animal, a constant coward in Christ. And let me tell you, Joshua's no coward. He's an 85-year-old stud in this passage because he sees this commander, Jesus, with the sword drawn, and look what it says here. Verse 13, the Hebrew word is halak. He went up to him. And Joshua moved toward him. So again, here's the commander standing before him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua halak, he walked toward him. He moved in, here's our word, close. Even though this commander had a sword drawn, Jesus has a weapon. And he is in warrior posture with it drawn and he's with warrior title by calling himself the commander. And Joshua moves toward him. I think perhaps in our culture today, we have made Jesus or reduced Jesus to some warm, fuzzy character. But let me assure you, Highland, his face is like lightning and he draws a quick sword. John, one of the close friends of, of Jesus. We might call him Jesus' best friend in the New Testament. He was the beloved disciple. I mean, it was self-proclaimed loved disciple, but he was the beloved disciple. And, and John was around Jesus all the time, hung out with him, was at the campfire with him. And yet when John, this same John, sees Jesus in the book of Revelation chapter one, he passes out cold. Let me let you see the description on the screen behind me from Revelation chapter one, verse 14 through 18. And let me read it to you. This is what John writes after seeing his bestie. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp, here it is, double-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in all of his brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and hell. And all God's people said, amen. We don't want a soft Jesus. We want him as he is. Powerful, victorious, a warring king. And I wrote this down in my notes this week just to pass along to you to perhaps write in your notes or consider with me. Jesus is loving, but he's not soft. He's rich in mercy, but he's not a snowflake. We've reduced him. We become too comfortable and too casual, perhaps at times, with this king who loves to draw the sword. He's filled with love. Do not walk out of here thinking I'm not saying that. He is filled with love. He is rich in mercy beyond our comprehension, but he's not a soft king. His eyes and his face shine like the brilliance of the sun. And let me say again, we want a strong Jesus. We want him to be powerful. 
Because what assurance do we receive by coming close to a featherweight? What hope do we receive by drawing close to a coward? What power is there by coming close to someone who's anemic? We want Jesus to be strong because this is where the assurance and the hope and the power and the strength comes from. This is the picture of Christ in the New Testament, but also a small picture that Joshua is beginning to see here. We want to draw close, as Joshua was doing, to the supreme authority of the universe. This is the amazing grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can draw close. All right, we've got to look at the best conversation in this entire narrative. Certainly you saw it back in verse 13 again. So Joshua by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes. Here he is, here's Jesus standing before him. He's in warrior posture, drawn sword in his hand. Joshua keeps going toward him, draws close to him and says, okay, so are you for us or are you against us? Are you for us or for our enemies? Are you for us or for our adversaries? And Jesus said, no. In Hebrew, it'll be the, you'll remember this Hebrew word the rest of your life. In Hebrew, it is low. Sounds just like our no. Jesus said low. This is a non sequitur. Usually when you ask someone a question that has two responses, or you give someone two choices, especially here in the West, we expect them to choose one of those choices, but not Jesus. No, no. But let me tell you who I am. I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. And now I've come. So Jesus, are you a Republican or a Democrat? No. Are you more like kind of for the Americans or for the Mexicans when it comes to this whole wall thing? No. John Dash Durham at highlandbc.org if you'd like to email me this week. Are you conservative or, or liberal? No. Are you on my side or are you on his side? No. Patriots or chiefs? Chiefs. I mean, no, 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 no. <laughs> In our pride, we put our agenda ahead of God's. And I'll own that, and maybe some of us in this room need to own it as well. It is a prideful thing when we put our agenda above the agenda of God's. God, are you, are you for me or against me? Because I have a lot of things to do. God, are you gonna be with me on this? Because my schedule is filled. I really don't have time to consult you. Are you, are you for me or against me in this? In our pride, we put our agenda ahead of God's. And let me just even go a step deeper than that. In our selfishness, we elevate our authority and downgrade God's. Let's own that. God, I've got so many things to do. I'm sure hoping you're gonna serve me on this. We assume that God serves us when instead we are to be the servant of God. God is not our servant, we are his servant. He's the potter, we're the clay. He's the shepherd, we're the sheep. He's the father, we're the children. He's the owner, we're the owned. And I wonder sometimes if we spend so much time wondering if Jesus is on our side, that we, should, we forget that our life's passion should be that we are resolutely on his. 
And Joshua is beginning to understand this. He's about to lay down his agenda and put God's agenda above. He's about to, to reduce his authority and elevate the authority of God because look what happens here. Joshua fell face down to the earth and worshiped. And this is a military man. Military men should know in the midst of battle, especially spying, you never put your face to the ground. There could have been Canaanite spies looking for him waiting for an opportune moment to take him out. One book later in the book of, of Judges, Gideon has an army of 10,000 men and he loses 9,700 of them because they went down to the ground to lap up the water. Joshua pushes aside his military expertise and he falls down, he stops and worships with his face to the earth. And how, let me say, the physicality here is really important. It began with Joshua, maybe almost in an accusatory tone, coming toward Jesus. So whose side are you on? Are you on my side or you're on their side? And look where it ends. It starts with pointing, it starts with this, this asking, and it ends in verse 14 with bowing. Joshua needed to fall down before God before the walls would fall down before Joshua. He chose worship first. He also goes from being the commander. Again, Joshua chapter one, God has given Joshua the right to be the commander of the armies of Israel. And he has gone from being the commander to being the commanded. He has met someone superior to him. And so he goes down low. This may be a good strategy for all of us this week as we draw close to God. This might be a good prayer for all of us to say to the Lord this week, God, I've commanded my life way too long. I trust you now to be the commander. This is what happened. Joshua went from the commander to being the commanded. And he went down with his face to the ground. Joshua went from asking the wrong question, again, one more time, the end of verse 13. So are you for me? Are you on my agenda? Are you on my side? Are you on their side, the enemies, the adversaries, to asking the right question at the very end of verse 14. What does my Adonai, what does my Lord say to his servant? I mean, Joshua's on a mission. He had things to do. He was agenda laden as he went into Jericho to scout it out to learn how to conquer this city. But in the middle of it, Jesus told him, stop. Take off your sandals. Worship. And I love the last little few words there. And Joshua did so. In the middle of his mission, in the middle of his agenda, in the middle of his deadline, pretty much in the middle of war, he slips off his sandals and he puts his face to the earth. And here's what I'd like to say to you this morning. Slow down so you can draw close to Jesus or you'll find yourself asking Jesus to hurry up so he can catch up with you. We live busy lives. And that is not a good posture to have before a sword-wielding warrior Hey, will you catch up to my pace, Jesus? We need to all slow down. And at times, if you will, take off our shoes in the presence of God and put our face to the earth because he's the king.
Would you bow your head with me, please? And we're gonna take a minute or so just to be still and be quiet in the presence of this victorious king. Listen. Stop. Bow. Jesus, forgive our pace. We run, we're exhausted, there's deadlines, our agenda, our calendar, our schedule. And we do not want to have the posture where we ask you to catch up with us. Give us the grace to slow down. To take off our shoes in your holy presence this week. To draw close to a king who has a sword. But also the invitation of open arms. Give us that grace to slow down to draw close. And we're gonna need your grace to do that. We're gonna need you empowering us to do that. Thanks for your love and your invitation to, to draw close. And we draw close fearfully and joyfully all at once. In the name of Christ, the King, we believe and we pray. Amen.